Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So the next question is, as a betrayed partner, my essay husband of 35 years has cheated during the entirety of our relationship. He claims that he did not feel guilty for cheating, just fearful of getting caught. This sounds like a person who has no conscience. How can this be? Is this typical of addicts and what does it mean? Tammy, I'm going to let you have that one. I'll follow you. Not a, that's a great question for you. Well, I, I, I'm of two minds. Either he has no conscience or he just can't handle feeling bad. And it's just easier to keep that compartmental. And I don't know which, um, um, but, but someone who's that out of touch with it, I don't know. I mean, I'm quite, I'm thinking well, either really emotionally, off. yes, please do. Cause I'm you're either yeah, emotionally I mean, disconnected from everybody else's feelings about anything. I just want me, 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 me. Well, for sure. Um, I think that many of the men who come to seeking integrity do not feel guilty for their behavior. They are afraid you're going to leave them. And this is very similar. You know, I don't feel bad about cheating. I just don't want to get caught. I don't, I'm not worried about having hurt you. I'm worried you're going to leave me. I mean, it's all that kind of back and forth. Um, This is addiction. Addiction is about living in a compartmentalized fashion where I can put my love and caring for you in this box and I can protect it from what I'm doing over here. My life is split into pieces, but you get this me and the other person gets that me and I don't really put the two together in my head. So the person who cheats and disappears and lies to you, I don't think of as a guy who doesn't love you. I mean, I love you when I'm with you, but then over here, when I'm with this other situation, I'm not thinking about hurting you at all. I'm thinking about what I'm doing there. So, um, so, uh, I separate, uh, what I'm doing and feeling bad about it from my fear of getting caught. Um, I put them all in boxes. No, I don't feel guilty about cheating, but I am terrified of your getting catching me and me getting into trouble. This is also what part of treatment is about, because I don't think anybody leaves treatment, at least not that I run, um, not feeling unless they are sociopaths, unless they don't have the ability to have a conscience. Uh, part of what we do is we ask spouses of partners, male or, well, in this male or female, of our of the guys we have in treatment to write a letter and to tell us exactly what you spouses went through in relationship to us and our cheating and all of that. And then we bring that into treatment and that is read. So your voice is there about how it felt to you to get cheated and what you've been through. And when we read those spouses' letters, it's quite powerful because I'll have a guy say, well, my wife has said that to me a million times, but I'm just so tired of hearing it from her. But when you read it, I realize what I start to feel guilty and realize what I've done. We spent our lives trying to not feel guilty. And um, some, and really that is part of what treatment and therapy is about is, is coming out of denial to understand how I really do feel about this. Yeah, I think my my confusion on this was I was thinking of somebody who has stopped the behavior and is progressing in a different way, but this person does not identify that at all. And so, yeah, I would the preserve 
the not feeling bad at all costs. I don't want to feel bad. Compartmentalizing makes sense. So, okay. Next question. As a husband is still compartmentalizing his past and finds 12-step meetings humiliating rather than deriving any benefit from them, how do you facilitate progress in this area? Any suggestions? Again, Tammy, I think this would be, you get this call all the time. Um, how do we move them forward when they complain about the recovery that's being put in front of them? And how does a partner facilitate or manage a situation like this? Healthy boundaries for themselves. I mean, if you're going to a 12-step meeting and all you are feeling is humiliated, you're missing the point because it's a whole bunch of people who are just like you. And if, like, if you go and start looking at if you're looking for why you're different, you're, you've got the wrong lens. If you're going, how can I relate to the pain that that person is sharing? I can relate to the pain, even though my details are different. You know, nobody's got exactly the same story, but you know, it, as we go around the room, like I can relate to every single person, even some that I would label as kind of annoying in the meetings. That's me. That's not them. It's me. Um, but it's one of those things where if I put on my lens and go, how can I connect to this person? Then I go, oh my gosh, that completely resonates with me. So to me, this is, you know, he is stuck in the why I'm so terminally unique, why I am so special, why, you know, it's so painful for me that I shouldn't have to do this. What healthy boundaries do you need to set for you? Yeah, I was going to speak to that, and I agree with Tammy on the first on the point she just made, which is um, this isn't about your facilitating progress in someone else. This is if you're in a situation where your needs are being met, someone's lying to you, they're betraying you, they're violating you. How are you going to come to peace with that? Um, how do you make sense of all this for yourself and take care of yourself? And by the way, when you take care of yourself which might mean locking us out of the bedroom or locking us out of the house or going to see a lawyer or, you know, uh, telling us if we don't get some help, blah, blah, blah. You are feeling stronger and stronger when you do that. And out of that, those boundaries, that structure, we may, we may well say, oh my gosh, I've got to work on myself or I don't get back in that bedroom or I don't get back in that house, but you're not doing that. And this is the difficult part because you want to make us do something that rarely works. And besides, you don't know if we did it for ourselves or you or any of that, you have to go take care of yourself. And in that process, we will sometimes realize that, you know, you want, we're not going to get any further unless we really attend to the, the problem. Um, I did want to say something also about um, he, the husband saying that he finds 12-step meetings humiliating. Well, there's two parts. One is narcissism which is if you take everything that's happening in a meeting personally and feel humiliated by it, then you're making everything about you. You know, that's very narcissistic. Well, I don't, I, I don't belong here because these people have done bad things and I don't want to look at myself as like one of these people. You know, that's kind of narcissistic and arrogant. And that goes along with being an addict. So, you know, he qualifies or she qualifies. The other piece is, um, I don't know that that's true. Just because I told you I feel humiliated in that situation, it may just be the way that I get out of going. The way I get out of having to do this is telling you I felt humiliated, but maybe I didn't. Maybe I just didn't want to go. And besides which, you know, look, I know people who, who don't have kidneys 
who go for dialysis every week and they're they are humiliated and embarrassed and they they uh and they have to expose parts of their body in ways that they don't want to but they go to dialysis every week because they want to live and they want to live healthy it doesn't matter how embarrassing or i have a friend who had a colostomy you know how humiliating embarrassing could that be but you know, she manages it, she takes care of it, she still has a partnership, she still has a sex life, she's humiliated, but she still is moving on with her life into acceptance. And I don't think feeling humiliated is an excuse for not taking care of myself. Look how humiliated you are. And I didn't give a crap about that. So I wouldn't be so worried about his feeling humiliated. I think that's not your problem. So next question, what do I do as a betrayed partner in a 34-year marriage with a recovering essay? He's been emotionally avoidant during the entire relationship, but used me for sex. I found out about his porn addiction in 1998. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a porn addiction back then. It wasn't until 2012 when I discovered he was addicted to sex, too. I found out by forced confession that he was, he'd been cheating with women since we'd been dating. At my insistence, he's been doing intensives, group work, some therapy. However, he's been sexually avoidant since his last affair in 2012. He's a great husband and dad in other ways. And I found out that he's working extra hard at doing good things to make up for his fear of being sexual with me. My last boundary was to move out of the bedroom. I don't even know if he will care because we weren't sexual anyway. I know it's not my fault and something is wrong with him, but I'm humiliated. There's that word again. I feel so bad and in great pain because of his rejection. I can't afford to move out. We sorry be something it may yeah. cut people off so Tammy, yeah. i'm going to ask you to start because i'm going to run to the restroom and i'm going to think about this and i'll be right back and there's a lot of meat on that bone so i yeah uh, there is so so yeah what a journey and i'm i'm so sorry for you but so one of the podcast that Dr. Rob did was with doctors Bill and Ginger Burkaw, and it was sexual or sexual reintegration. And I can't help but wonder if the two of you could benefit from doing something in that workbook. And I think they do some online work uh, shops and things as well, but listen to the podcast and see, see if it's even something you want to do. Um, Dr. David often talks about sensate focused, and it isn't about, you know, the, it isn't just about sex. And, and what I hear too is, um, um, uh, you know, he's afraid. And I can't imagine that both of you don't have some fear or like, what do you need to do to step it back? And like you were dating, like go hold hands, walk through the park, you know, look into each other's eye, just sit across from each other and have a conversation. You know, maybe he rubs your feet. I, I don't, whatever's work workable for you and whatever level of touch you need but i mean we are human beings that you know need touch so what is a safe boundary for you what would be workable for you and start slow not just you know I, i'm sure there's a ton of fear if he's been avoiding all of this for so long um it it has to be scary for each and both of you um Thanks, Tammy. I agree. Uh, I agree with all of that. And, and you know, I like to pick out words, right? So at my insistence, he's been doing intensive group work therapy. So why is it at your insistence? Um, why isn't he showing up and saying, I want to make things better. And now that I'm, I guess, not acting out, I didn't hear. Recovering essay. She put or it's a woman. She put recovering in quotes. 
you see yes, that? I, I didn't so see that. We don't know how much this partner is actually working on the healing or changing this behavior. Um, I hope that he is. I will tell you that we are sexually avoidant. We're intimacy avoidant. That is part of being a sex addict. So we will go from having a sex with 100 people that we don't know to, to avoiding sex with an intimate partner because it's easy for us sex addicts to have sex where we feel we have a sense of control the person can't hurt us they can't let us down you know porn sex workers they're not going to disappoint me but you my partner you can hurt me you can let me down intimacy is terrifying for us so we keep ourselves at a distance from you sexually because that's hard for us emotionally but boy do we love we we use you for the family piece and the, the loving piece um so i don't understand why it's at your insistence um, I don't necessarily believe that he's been sexually avoidant since since 2012. I wonder how many other people he might be having sex with or what you don't know about, um, because I don't hear recovery. Um, and the last thing about, and I hear a lot of partners say this, and this is a hard thing to say to you back, but when you say he's a great husband and dad in other ways, you know, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think you can parse, you can pick apart oh, well, this is a wonderful person, except for these terrible, terrible things that they do. First of all, um, he's not a great husband. What great husband cheats and, and, and won't embrace recovery and is emotionally avoidant and doesn't want to have sex with you? And what makes that, I'm sorry, that counts toward great husband and it doesn't sound very great to me. So you could say he's a great friend. You can say he's a great roommate. But a great husband gets emotionally engaged with you and tries to work things out, especially being sexual with you. And then the part about him being a great dad, I got to counter that, too, because the man who is not emotionally supportive of his spouse, female, the man who is leaving her feeling anxious or angry or fearful or alone is hurting their children. Because when you partners feel our absence when you don't get our support and you begin to feel like, I guess I'm running this family by myself, or I feel like I have three children, these two little ones and the person I'm married to, that means that you don't have a great marriage and this person is not being a good dad. If you are affected by an addict's behavior, children are too. And so I don't mean to cause you pain. What I mean is, and if he were here, I would love him to hear, no, you haven't been a great husband and no, you're not a great dad. And uh, yeah, and I'm not sure you even belong in that house. So anyway, I, 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 she says, I'm humiliated and in great pain. Um, I hear the rejection piece, but the bigger rejection would be, why isn't he work? Why isn't he coming to me and saying, let's work on this. Let's make this better. I want to be intimate with you. Just ignoring it, that would be a greater pain to me than actually whether we're having sex or not. Um, there are a lot of ways, as Tammy said, to find your way back to sexuality. We know a lot of therapists who will work with you on restoring or engaging a couple who've been separate for a long time into a sexual relationship. We know how to do that as therapists. And there are books, as Tammy said. But willingness and his desire to come and say, I want to be closer to you on many levels. We can't do that. We can't create motivation. And that's the part I'm sad about for you is this person seems willing to be distant from you on a bunch of levels and that's just fine with him it doesn't have to be fine with you 
So I was thinking too, Troy Love did a webinar a couple of weeks ago and we talked about attachment styles and attachment wounds and things. And I would invite you on sexandrelationshiphealing.com on the resource tab under previously recorded, go check out the one that was the end of July um, that may resonate with both and each of you. So, okay, next question. I'm the youngest of four and the only boy. Parents divorced was when I was 13 years old. I feel I didn't get any support from my sisters. Felt like I was just that annoying little brother. Now feel like it's always my fault that the relationship with my sister, the middle one is not working out. I feel ignored and that she is condensing and patronizing towards me or condescending. I think it probably was and, and patronizing towards me, but she does call me when she needs something thoughts on boundaries. Will this be our forever, our relationship forever? Well, I mean, I don't know you and I don't know your situation, but it sounds like it's already been your relationship forever. I mean, you said that you didn't get support from her when you were 13. So why would you think you're going to have an intimate supportive relationship now that you're, you know, 50? Um, the hardest thing for me in recovery is accepting the people. One of the hardest things is accepting the people that I care about as they are. I think as addicts, and narcissistic people, we get angry. I get angry at people if they're not acting in a way that rewards me. You know, if you didn't say thank you, I'm going to say, well, why didn't you say thank you? I mean, I, at least that's me. I want to make sure my needs get met and all of that kind of stuff. But, but I have to accept that there are people, and in my case, my sister, um, who is not emotionally available, who can be very hurtful, who I had 25 years of therapy. She's had none. We grew up in the same family. And, you know, I had to distance myself because I didn't want to get hurt and holding out expectations that someone will finally see you or finally get you or finally love you is, is like holding out an empty cup, looking for somebody to fill it up. Um, it doesn't work that way. My husband often says to me, go where you're wanted, go where you're welcome. Go where people are excited to see you. And inevitably, because of how I grew up, I moved toward the person who doesn't really like me to try to figure out why, you know, or try to get into that group and be friends with people who really aren't interested in being friends with me. I've learned and recovered. So I wonder what it would mean if you accepted your sister as she is and grieve that relationship and then engage in it on a more superficial way. You know, what I learned to do is go to my sister's house for Thanksgiving and go for a couple of hours and have a little turkey and say, great to see you. And then I wouldn't come back till the 4th of July. That was the level of relationship I could have and still get to engage. Um, but had I asked her to be more and give more and do more, that's when I get hurt because I'm holding out first. And I'm not nice to people because I'm asking them to do things that isn't native to them because I want them to. So anyway, that's that's a lot of stuff, but I think hopefully it relates to what you're saying. Very well said and, and appropriate. It's a, we, we need to, I invest in relationships where there's mutuality, where there's commitment to the relationship, not just one person always giving, one person always taking, and that doesn't work. So next question, because we've got- One thing first, I'm sorry, to, let me yeah. interrupt you. I did put it in the chat, our website and our, I mean, you put it we, in. I put it in the in the chat. You put it in oh, the okay. Q and A. I got it. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, fine. I just wanted to say to you guys that we, you know, in case you're not aware, we run as Tammy saying earlier, like twelve groups a week that are absolutely free. We have some really committed therapists who volunteer every week and have been, I think, for a few years. Tammy volunteering to run 
a men's betrayal group, a women's betrayal group, a man who's a sex addicts group, a gay men's sex. I mean, we couples, I mean, we do lectures. We, and all of that is free. Podcasts are free. Blogs are free. Um, YouTube is free. And all of this interaction we, we, we do with you guys like this is free. And I, Tammy and I were really committed in the beginning that we wanted people who couldn't afford therapy and who couldn't afford treatment centers to get their needs met in this very difficult area. So that's of, of healing. So that's why we do this. And that's also why we talk about our work so that we can continue to support those of you who really need the intense work. But anyway, stop by the website, if only because there's so much free stuff there. And as Tammy said, you can look back, gosh, now two years ago to see what blogs were being said, what she and I were talking about. Every single podcast tells you minute by minute what's in it. So you don't have to listen to all of them. Anyway, I'm doing a little uh, encouragement and thank you, Tammy. What is the All next? All right. Next question. One. Gaslighting, denial, and inability to admit that he has done or minimize at least. I lose my mind. Can't handle having to convince him of obvious truths. Road up boundary. If you cannot admit fault, character issues, and apologize within 24 hours, get out. Fights are exhausting, painful over dumb things like you chose each acting out behavior or you manipulate me or you take me for granted. He cannot admit in moment. Only after hours of fighting does he cave and see oh shoot i think there's a oh, word limit i guess is oh um i found it so here it is oh the the light i'm so over the vicious cycle i stated if you continue this i will ask you to leave abusive i think crazy making well I don't, I would not want to be in a situation where what I have to say about it is I'm losing my mind. Like I said, I pay a lot of attention to language. And if you, if I see a sentence like I lose my mind, I can't handle it. Um, it's right in front of this person, but they won't talk about it. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to do that to myself. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I talked about a family member before that I don't have a very close relationship with. And I'll tell you what my requirement is for being a relationship is you have to be willing to own your stuff. If I am the only wrong one, if I am the only one who's angry, if I'm the only one, I can't be in a relationship with you because then I'm always the problem. And, and so I really do agree with you that it's not just about Char uh, admitting character issues and apologizing. I mean, those things are easy. I'm an asshole and I won't do it again. But I think the admitting fault part, the taking responsibility for what I've done and how it's affected you part, that cannot be skipped over and that takes a lot of time. So I, I don't know what Tammy would say here, but it's hard for me to understand why you're there. The, the reason I think is because, I don't know, you know, Tammy, when sometimes People write like, I hate them and I can't stand them and they're ruining my life and I shouldn't be here and they, but they're still there. And it's like, they're very angry, but there's a part of them that they're not even in touch with that is still deeply anchored in this relationship because everything I read here doesn't really tell me why this person's staying. So what are your thoughts here? Well, there was a uh, one more I found that says, was this an appropriate boundary? And my my thought was you you're getting in a vicious fight trying to convince him what happens if you take yourself out of the fight say this is this is my expectations and if you can't do this what is the boundary you know get out okay if you know if it's this this and this now it may be 
you know, um, a char character issues and apologize within 24 hours, get out. And he's not, you gave a clear boundary, get out with, if you can't do it within 24 hours and you fight to get him to do it within 24 hours. So he's not really doing it within 24 hours. You're making him, so to speak. So, so to me, it doesn't feel like um, there's teeth to the, the boundary. It's not creating safety for you. You're, you, you know, you're in chaos. So, so to me, like Dr. Rob said, is this working for you? What can you do to have safety for you? What do you, you know, if you just go, you know, whatever you do, you do you, I'm going to go get support over here. You know, and I mean, if you take yourself out a notch, like if you just distance yourself a bit, if you show up differently, what, what will he do? I don't know, but it, it, if you're taking care of you, it, it just, you know, you being in chaos all the time, the, the, he's the focus, his addiction is the focus ever. It's all about him and the addiction and the lies. It, it doesn't get to be about you. What do you need to do for you? So. And I, I wanted to add something up to the last piece, the very last, this person wrote like three different levels they really wanted to get through. And the question was, is this an appropriate boundary? And my answer is maybe, because if you set a boundary of I'm going to leave if you don't do this, here's the requirement. You have to leave. You have to decide. I mean, you have to be that, you know, it is not okay to threaten leaving because if you don't, we learn a great lesson. Wow, you're gonna make threats and not follow through. Isn't that great? I can have sex with all the people I want. You're just gonna threaten me. So if whatever, I really advise spouses, if your commitment is, if you do this again, blah, 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 I'm leaving, then leave. Um, you know, and don't negotiate and don't discuss. And well, if you decide to go to therapy, then leave or make them, I like Tammy's idea better, make them leave. Because, and she did add that. So it, the, she said in the chat. So yeah, tough to call. Boundary is to get out of the house if he cannot do the, the new boundary. And he, she said, ready, finally ready to follow through. And wrote I it up would and like signed to recommend, it. Sorry, Tammy, go ahead. No, it said wrote it up and signed it. That's good. That's I good. would add to this that it's if you're married, it's a really good idea to see an attorney. Um, because when addicts don't want to be in recovery and we don't see our part and we start blaming you spouses for whatever it is we're blaming you for, um, some of us are not very interested in being kind to you. And some of us aren't particularly well and we'll say, screw you, I'll just go find another wife and so, or husband or whatever. So I really advise you, if you're dealing with someone who just doesn't get it, who is just doing lip service, who is driving you crazy and it's been a period of time and you don't see them doing a whole lot to recover um, and they're not listening and they're not responding and they're saying, get off my back, you know, all that stuff. I think it's important for you to know your rights. Some of you have children. If I left, can I take the kids? Can I not take the kids? We have financial stuff. What would it be if I leave? It is worth having that information so if things get so bad you can figure out how to do this for a period and it doesn't have to be seeing a lawyer doesn't mean divorce you can do a formal separation i think it's really effective for us addicts if you want to create change to hear for us to hear you say i've gone as far actually as getting an attorney because i just don't trust that you're going to do this work wow does that push us forward unless we're already off of the affair partner in which case then you'll see our cards. So um, yeah, 
We have time for one more. Yes. Tammy, so this one is I'm a betrayed partner of for three years and have been with him for 13 years. What advice or suggestions do you have for me to help me get over the feeling of disgust when he tries to show affection? We have not been intimate. I'm assuming sexually for three years. My self-esteem and self-confidence really took a hit. Please help. I cannot find this question, Tammy. So it, it's, I, I it, it scroll up. It's the third from the bottom in the answered. Oh, the third from the bottom. One, two, three. Yes. I'm the betrayed partner. Oh, of, oh, yes. oh, I see. Yeah. It um, was because the other two came in, you know, and so anyway. Well, there are different issues here. Like my self-esteem and self-confidence really took a hit. I don't think at this point that you can trust your partner to restore that. I would wonder whether it's a manipulation or whether it's temporary or so I would hope that you can work on your self-esteem and self-confidence without necessarily depending on your partner. Um, what will make you feel more beautiful? What will make you feel more attractive? What will make you enjoy your life more? What's more fun than sitting at home with this person? What hobbies and exercises and activities and hanging out with friends can you do to restore your self-esteem and self-confidence because we are addicts and we are inconsistent and challenging and especially you know in a couple of years of recovery uh, i just don't know that we're going to be able to do much more than uh bring you a little bit of peace <laughs> if we get there but your self-esteem and self-confidence cannot come from us because we have and especially around sex because as i said we are actually quite avoidant of sex with people we're intimate with. It doesn't mean we care, don't care about you. It's just that we have, we have issues. The same issues that led us out there to have sex with 50 people also leads us to avoid you in terms of being intimate. And so I would not judge my self-esteem or my self-confidence on whether my partner, sex addiction partner has sex with me or not, or even shows interest because we avoid intimacy with people we're close to. So we, the bottom line is we are really screwed up around relationships and intimacy. And for you to heal yourself for yourself might be the best place to turn and then turn to us and say, I'm feeling strong and I have a good foundation and this is what I want to need because we are too mercurial, too unpredictable, too problematic for you to base your self-esteem on uh, unless you're really far along the road. Tammy, do you have a thought before we? I do have a quick thought because um, I'm the betrayed partner for three years, but you don't say what he's been doing to work on himself. So all of the stuff that Dr. Rob was talking about for you taking care of you, 100% agree. But also, what is what is he doing? Because if he's just you know, showing up and going, yeah, hey, hey. That would be that would be off-putting to me, and and so it would really be about what Dr. Rob was talking about in Out of the Doghouse. How is he showing up that he's rebuilding trust? And I really I, I want I really want to encourage you to work on the disgust um, because I, oh. I am confident that that you know that that you know, that, that you probably have a physical reaction you know with that disgust. So what do you need to do as part of healing you? to understand that his addiction is him. And unfortunately it affected you, but it isn't about like it, it, it doesn't matter how you looked, what you did or didn't do, it, that has nothing to do with his addiction. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, 
please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.